Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. From the days of its inception, the Florida Evangelistic Association was blessed with the ministry and talents of G.R. French. This sermon was preached back in 2007 at the Midwest Pigmholmers Church camp meeting in Frankfort, Indiana, and he titles it, Jesus Loves Lepers. I know you're going to enjoy this wonderful sermon. I would like for you to turn with me tonight to the book of Luke. I love the book of Luke. Uh, it's my favorite book when I'm reading it. <laughs> Every book is my favorite uh, when I get to reading and studying it. But Luke is a very special book. It's the only book of the Bible that was written entirely by a Gentile. And I happen to be a Gentile. <laughs> and, uh, but it's interesting that Luke the physician, his perception and insight, considerable difference. He emphasizes more medical uh, aspects of Jesus' ministry and uh, incidentally pays more attention to women and children. He pays more attention to some details. He's a little bit more detailed in certain lines than some of the other writers of the gospel. Uh, the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing in choosing the writers he did, and I'm glad that he chose Luke. Luke gives us a beautiful account. Now, he's not the only one, but he gives a beautiful account of a leper that was healed. And you'll find that brief account in Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. Beginning with verse 12. And we're going to read down through verse 13. 12 through 13. Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. And it came to pass when he, that is Jesus, was in a certain city. Now city did not, didn't necessarily mean a large city as we think of it today, but a town. And it's not even named. The importance isn't where it happened. The importance is what happened and the fact that Jesus was there. No doubt some one of the towns around the Sea of Galilee. Behold a man full of leprosy who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. 
And he put forth his hand and touched him and said, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. Let us bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so keenly aware tonight that unless thou dost speak to our heart, the speaking will be in vain. Oh, we yield absolutely to thy control, thy will, thy purpose, thy plan. Set us aside. May people see Jesus tonight. And may we see thy great love for a lost and dying world. Help us that we may go from here with a determination like we've never had before to manifest Christ to a lost and dying world. And we shall give you the praise, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to look at the hopelessness of this leper. He was full of leprosy. Leprosy was the most dreaded disease in ancient times. Once a person had the disease, in the last stages, as this man seemed to have, there was little or no hope of healing in those days. Leprosy can be very destructive to the body. But physical destruction is mostly a side effect of leprosy. Leprosy itself does not do the physical, at least the external, uh, visible consequences that we see in leprosy. But the disease attacks the nervous system. And it destroys the nerve endings so that the signals that are sent from the extremities, such as our hands, our fingers, our feet, our toes, the extremities cannot get to the brain so that the brain can interpret them and the body can react according to the danger. Pain is one of the greatest gifts God gave us. If we could not feel pain, we would destroy ourselves, and that's essentially what happens with lepers. They destroy their own body because they cannot feel pain. I read of a man once who went blind because he, he washed his face in boiling water, and it destroyed his eyesight, but he could not feel that boiling water, and therefore could not take, make the adjustments that he needed to make. In some countries, rats chew the toes and fingers uh, off the uh, children and adults as well. Many lepers, many lepers, I just forgot, just now turned this thing on back there, whoever's controlling. All right. Uh, in many countries, you will see lepers running around without any fingers, without any toes. A medical doctor that especially focused on treating lepers, a Christian medical doctor, said he saw a young man walking around with a nail driven completely through his foot. It didn't bother him at all because he could not feel pain. I was speaking in a convention in India once, and off to the side of the main Brush Arbor Tabernacle was the shelter for the lepers. 
after the service, several of those lepers came up holding bottles of anointing oil to me and wanted to be anointed to be healed from leprosy. By the way, there are remarkable healings today by the, by the work of God in their lives of lepers. They wanted me to anoint them. It's a very common thing to, uh, among lepers uh, that do not have proper medical care to end up in that shape. But physical destruction of the body was not among the Jews the worst effect of leprosy. The greater effect was the shame and disgrace of defilement at being shut off from society and even their own families. For leprosy was regarded in those days not only as a physical defilement, and it is a disease that's catching, not only a physical desire, but also as far as society was concerned, it was looked upon with great horror. And it was regarded by the Jews as spiritual defilement, at least among some of them. Because after all, why in the world would God allow a person to come down with leprosy? So leprosy was considered so defiling, physically, socially, and spiritually, that the leper had to be quarantined. When it was determined that a person had leprosy, their house was often burned to the ground or destroyed in other ways. They were driven out of town to live in a hut by themselves or with other lepers. I have seen pictures even in modern times of mothers who have leprosy. And through the Christian agencies, they've been provided a place to live and treatment for their disease. But even they do not want their children to catch the disease. And so they are not able to hold their own children, tend to their own children. And I saw a documentary of ministry in one of the Asian countries uh, where at this medical clinic. And here were these mothers that would come to a barrier and then a nurse would come to a barrier over here several feet between and hold up the children, the babies of these women so that they could see them, but they could not touch them. My heart was deeply moved. I've never forgotten the face of those women, tears streaming down their face, reaching out with those stubby hands and their arms, longing to hold their babies, but they cannot because they are lepers. Leprosy was a dreaded disease. In ancient times, if a leper were in town, and at, in certain towns they were allowed, but they were supposed to hold their hand over their mouth and to cry out as they went through the city, unclean, unclean unclean. How would you like to go through life telling everybody you met, I am unclean. One rabbi said, I throw rocks at lepers to keep them at, at a distance. And this man was a leper. In fact, people didn't even want the shadow of a leper 
to cross their own shadow. So fanatical was the feeling. But this man is also an example of desperate faith. Desperate faith. There are several reasons we can say it, say, speak of his faith in this manner. Imagine this man separated from the family he loves, and I'm doing a little imagining now, but it's imagining based upon what I have learned from the whole system of leprosy and how they were cared for and when they were not cared for. But imagine this man separated from the family he loves without hope of things ever being different, living with others who are in the same condition, never being able to go home, never being able to hold his children in his arms, kept outside the city, and to most people, a plague to be avoided, not a friend to be helped. But those lepers living in those little huts outside the city hear rumors of a man called Jesus who has been performing miracles and people have been getting healed. And so they discuss it among themselves. But most of them are cynical. Nobody has ever cared for them before. Nobody has ever tried to help lepers in their experience. And nobody has ever been healed as far as they were concerned. But there is one man in whom is born a spark of hope. If he can heal others, maybe he can heal us. And so he persists and tries to persuade his fellow lepers to go with him and see if they can't find Jesus. But they laugh him to scorn. And so he decides that they do not care nor do they have any faith that it would do any good. And so one day he slips off by himself and heads into the city. Now, as is the case, a leper was not to walk down the street with a lot of other people. And so he was particularly concerned on this day that he doesn't get stopped, stopped and driven out of the city. And so he darts from shadow to shadow of the buildings in the town until he comes to the place where Jesus stood in the middle of the town teaching the people. Great crowd, a great crowd had gathered round. And among that crowd are the Pharisees on the sidelines. They were constantly dogging the footsteps of Jesus, looking for an opportunity to, to accuse him of some blasphemy, something to which it, that they could use to stop his ministry. And so there they are. Here's the crowd, and here is this leper. But here he comes to a point of crisis. He's not supposed to be in that crowd. He's not supposed to touch anybody. And he's supposed to cry out, unclean, so that they will clear away from him. How is he going to engineer it? But my friends, when our faith gets desperate enough, Courage takes hold. The desperation 
of courage, courage of desperation. And so he decides he is going to get to Jesus. He's not coming this far and then backing out. And so putting his ragged cloak over his face, bending low, using his elbows, he begins to elbow his way through the crowd. At first, they don't recognize who he is, and then suddenly, somebody recognizes the leper, and they cry it out, and suddenly, the crowd disperses. Men beat him with sticks. Women grab their children and scream with horror, and suddenly, he finds there's a wide-open path from him to Jesus, and he runs and falls at his feet, and he says, Jesus... If you will, you can make me clean. Mark says in the same story, his account of the same story, Mark says Jesus looked upon him with compassion. That's the title of what I'm trying to give to you tonight. Jesus loves lepers. Jesus loves lepers. And so he cries out to Jesus. Now, let's back up a little bit. Here are the Pharisees watching. And they know that Jesus has claimed to be the Messiah. They know that he's performed miracles. They know or have a suspicion that he, they've heard that he claims to be the Son of God the holiest of all, of all that has ever inhabited this earth. Aha! So there's the man that claims to be the Son of God. There's the man that claims to be a holy man, pure and holy, who cannot look upon evil. And there's the guilty, filthy leper. What is he going to do now? The Bible tells us what he did. And what he did was something nobody else in all of that country would do. He bent down and touched him. Nobody would touch a leper. Out of fear, out of uh, sheer despising hatred. For many reasons, they would not touch a leper. But Jesus, out of compassion, the holiest of all, straight from the glories and the presence of God the Father and the holy angels and the bright splendor of heaven, down to this filthy little village with the goats and the chickens and the donkeys and the cows. And I've been there, all of it, and the filth of the streets mixed with the dust. And Jesus, the Son of God, let me back up. You can't touch somebody laying in the dust, standing up. And Jesus, looking down, had compassion. 
And Jesus, the pure Son of God, kneeled down in the dust and placed his hand upon the head of that man and pronounced the word of authority over leprosy and all disease and sin and evil. And he said, I will be thou clean. I've met people who felt they were too holy to go into wicked places in order to rescue somebody. I'm glad that isn't common among God's people, holy people. But my friends, I want to tell you our God so loved this wicked, cursed world that he sent his son right down into the middle of it to walk the roads we walk, the dust and the filth of our universe. He came down, humbled himself to become a servant to us in order that he might demonstrate his grace to us. He loved that leper. And so he was set free, this dear leper. I think of the amazing grace of God. He is the same today as he was then. And in closing, I want to just challenge, I want to challenge, first of all, the church, pastors that are here, God's people that are here. This story has a powerful lesson to those of us in the holiness movement. And it's simply this. Have you touched any lepers recently? Do you have any kind of ministry of outreach to reach the least and the last and the lost for Jesus? I heard a story that moved me tremendously about Catherine Booth who was walking past the police station in London, England. This was before the days of automobiles. And the police carriage drove up and they drug a woman out of that police carriage. She was screaming and kicking and fighting and they were dragging her up the steps into the prison. And Catherine Booth, that great woman of, that loved the lost and a woman of faith, suddenly ran up the steps, put her arms around this woman and kissed her. And suddenly the woman grew silent. She said, who kissed me? And Catherine Booth said, I did. And she said, why did you kiss me? Nobody's ever kissed me like that. Nobody really loves me. And Catherine Booth said, I love you. And God loves you. And she was able to win the woman to Christ later in her ministry to her. I want to tell you this evening, there are multitudes who feel like there's no hope anymore for them. They feel like nobody really cares. 
that God himself has deserted them. But I'm glad to tell you that our God does still love the least and the last and the lost. But he's depending upon you and me to be his instruments of divine grace to reach out to the lepers all around us. Do you have a ministry to reach out to lepers? Let me explain what I mean. There was a uh, great preacher of Methodism uh, in the past who um, was very successful in the work of God, had great revival, great, great outreach. His name was Samuel Chadwick. And he, he jotted down four points for success in the work of God. I don't remember the last three, but I remember the first one. I've never forgotten it. And it was simply this. He said, if you want to be successful in reaching the lost and building a church, he said, find a Lazarus and raise him from the dead. What did he mean by that? Same thing. Find somebody that everybody else has given up on. That drunkard down the road, that bum, that, that uh, uh, outlaw. Find somebody that everybody else has given up on. The hopeless one. And put your people to prayer and go after them and win them to Jesus. And you will find that the people will begin to hear about what God can do at that church. What happened? God saved so and so and nobody believed it could ever happen. That happened in my family's own ministry when my father and Uncle Rob and my grandfather had pitched a tent in the little town of Pell City, Alabama. That was, uh, at that time, just a mission to the church they were pastoring at a place called Wolf Creek. But anyway, they pitched a tent. And right toward the beginning of that tent meeting, Boss Phillips, the worst man in town, the worst outlaw in town, the drunkard in town, the man that caused the most trouble, the man that everybody felt was helpless and hopeless, he got saved in that tent meeting. As a result, the whole town heard about the tent meeting. And hundreds of people began to come to the tent meeting. The end result was it was estimated, I've heard estimates, all the way from 400 to 700 were, were saved in that tent meeting. And they started a hole in his church, started it with 90 charter members. Raise the Lazarus from the dead. Look for, look for the lepers in society. Reach out to the least and the last and the lost. One of the greatest, uh, most rewarding ministries I've been involved in is prison ministry. I'm not involved in that right now because it conflicts with our Miami ministry. But I, but I have seen God work in great grace among prisoners that we've had, an, uh, had the opportunity to work with. God wants to reach into every strata of society. God wants to reach beyond our own, cult, uh, our own uh, culture and our own 
acquaintances and uh, the places where we're comfortable and he wants us to go beyond the places where they are comfortable and we're not to bridge the gap between us and those people. I was in Africa once and they told us a story. They kept telling us you need to go down to Tagula Ferry. You need to go down to the village there and see what God has done. And I finally made it down there. Here's the story. There was a young single missionary, a young man, who was doing missionary work in the area. And one day a, uh, a, a government official said to him, come with me. And he took him to a garage and opened the doors of the garage widely. And there lay 12 corpses, 12 bodies of 12 men that had been killed. And he said to the young missionary, can't you people do anything about this? Now that young missionary could have thrown it back into the face of the government official and said, that's your business. Can't you do something and stop all of this killing? But the young missionary didn't take it that way. He took it as a challenge. And he, God put his finger in his back and he moved right down into that violent area. It was Zululand and that particular part of Zululand was some of the poorest of the whole country and some of the most violent of the whole country. But he moved right into that area. He spent two or three years before there was much of any result. And then his gardener, a young boy, was converted. And one by one, things began to happen until revival came to that entire area. And as a result of it, there have been tens of thousands of those Zulus converted. And a remarkable change has come in the place. Literally, I was so deeply impressed, I've never gotten over it. It's almost like a like the land, the Garden of Eden. The prosperity that has come because people have been transformed from their drinking and transformed from their adultery and transformed from their evil thinking and their bondage to evil spirits. And God has worked a mighty work of divine grace that's demonstrated, in fact, they've won some of the top awards in the country simply for agricultural advancement. Did you know that God will do something for people to make them better at whatever they do? Carpentry or farming or anything else. God wants us to be at our best. But God's work is based upon the fact of his great divine love to lost mankind. And you and I cannot do the, be faithful to the work of God until we have the kind of love that God has to reach out to the least and the last and the lost. But I want to close with this. I want to speak a word to somebody here tonight who's given up. Somebody that says, no, it's hopeless. I've tried it before. You, peep, you feel like people 
have let you down. You may even feel like the church has let you down. That there are too many hypocrites. Or that you've sinned too, much, too greatly. And you can't make it. I want to tell you tonight that this same Jesus, the Prince of Glory, who appeared in that little mid, middle, west, middle eastern village, is the same Jesus that is moving up and down these aisles tonight. And he has the same spirit, the same attitude, the same power, the same grace. He's able to do for you whatever your need is. He's able to solve it. I want to tell you tonight that this same Jesus will touch you and make you whole. There was a young man who lived there in Hope Sound, the daughter of a, I mean the son of a, of a godly mother. But I don't know what made him so bitter. He was one of the most bitter young men I ever knew of. He was a drunkard. And he moved far away from God. Anybody, he would not speak to a preacher. Would turn his face to the wall if anybody came. The day came when he developed cancer of the throat and the tongue. And they had to take his tongue out. He couldn't talk. That just made him more bitter. Preachers, the pastor, others tried to go down to talk to him. He wouldn't talk to them. His cancer was working on him. He only had a little time to live. Dying in his bitterness, Satan had a hold of him. And it looked for all the world as though Satan were going to drag him down to perdition with no hope. But there was another young man he used to run around with who had been saved shortly before that time. He was out of town at the time, but he heard about Tommy's condition, and he determined that as soon as he got back, he was going to go and see Tommy, and that's exactly what he did. And when he went in, suddenly, Tommy's attitude changed. And he said, Bob, how did you do it? How does it work? And Bob gave him his testimony. And that evening, Tommy gave his heart to Jesus. It was very shortly after that that he died. I didn't have charge of the funeral, but I went to the funeral and I stood over to one side and I looked up to the heavens and I thought of Tommy with Christ in the eternal world. And I said to the devil, you thought you had him. But right at the gates of hell, Christ rescued him. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com.
This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. Amen.